So hi, hi everyone. Um, this is I am not your Bilal. We've been on a hiatus because you know um, I, I've had a change of circumstances. Um, but yeah, I'm here and I, I'm joined by my token brown friend, if you want to call him that. That's that's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. Um, the 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 the, the editor in chief of TMV, you know, the head pod show, Johnny Dick Bollocks himself. <laughs> Are you going to do this every time? Yep. All right. Yep. It's Very my good. job. It's my job to make you feel awkward. Um, so, yeah. Uh, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm good, thank you. Um, all things considered. How about yourself? Yeah. I mean, like I, like I said, when we, we, we first uh, started this uh, channel of communication, I'm alive and that is an accomplishment for a black man living in the West also very incensed very angry uh about what's been going on i've been angry about these things uh it's a very bittersweet uh, feeling for me as you know i've i've been about this i've walked the walk and talked the talk for most of my adult life and even before that i've been talking about anti-blackness and for the most part it fell on deaf ears and now i don't know how i feel about some of the stuff i'm seeing uh, from non-black so-called POC who now want to jump on the Black Lives Matter bandwagon because it's popular and they see more white people doing it. it. It's very frustrating, but at the same time, I hope more change can be affected through this. So I, I think for me, this was always going to be quite a, a difficult and I guess awkward conversation um, because the, the specific thing that I think that you just touched on um, that's come up quite a lot now is everyone is 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 up in arms and everyone is is rightly so very incensed by everything that's happened um in america and is continuing to happen in america and as you said it's been going on for so long but what i've seen on my social media and even this morning when i woke up i was kind of scrolling through facebook and you just see the the the, the full spectrum of responses from people saying all lives matter um to people Sorry how, sorry, how dare you say that? You know, it, 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 this is about Black Lives Matter. People then talking about Syria and Yemen. Um, people nope. talking about the respective struggles of different races and the fact that we are all um, under the oppression of white supremacy, so to speak, um, in this struggle. Um, and, and so I, I thought, like, you know, I think if if I can jump in with a question straight away to yourself, um, how can non-black people uh, support the struggle and be allies in this struggle and, and also as I said just to kind of contextualize that I've seen for example some um, black people and activists on my on my social media saying oh you know you person of color that isn't black sharing something or, or sharing a Malcolm X quote with a with a hadith or a verse from the Quran that's not enough so I, I what I need to understand I think and what people want to know generally is is number one what's the context of all of this and, and how can people um join in the struggle in that sense and, and, and be allies effectively. So um, like every Nigerian grew up hearing their mother say, charity begins at home or from home. Um, it's very annoying for a lot of people like myself who are very well aware of the deep, deep history of anti-blackness, particularly in the Muslim community uh, among Middle Eastern, so-called Middle Eastern people. I say so-called because you're either Asian or African. Middle East does not exist. But Middle Eastern people, just for an operative term, South Asians, um, th there is a deep, grotesque and consistent, nuanced 
history of anti-blackness of all levels in these cultures, which has been swept under the rug for generations. Many of the so-called activists now, many of the publications and so on that are even pretending now to be on board with this struggle are themselves people and organizations that perpetuated this. So until these Muslim channels can come out and apologize for anti-black statements that members of their organizations have come out and made, until these activists can retract anti-black statements that they have made, and until these individuals start earnestly, honestly, and openly talking about anti-blackness in their own cultures and addressing their own people, we don't need them to share Malcolm X. We already know you guys like Malcolm X. Even the most racist Asian loves to show that black and white picture of him with his hand on his temple or one with him holding an AK-47 by the window and, and you know, appropriate while telling black people all lives matter and that kind of nonsense or arguing me on Twitter about how Kala is never used as a racist term. We already know you guys like Muhammad Ali. You love to appropriate black men. Yeah, the black man is the symbol. Uh, the black man is a symbol of what is cool and hip and radical. Everybody loves to appropriate black culture, black dance, black music, you know, and then our athletes are the most popular. So we know you like our culture. What we need you to do now is be yourselves and be honest within yourselves about what happens because a lot of these people talking about anti-blackness, as you'll see on my Twitter feed right now, are not comfortable with the fact that there is a hierarchy in the way that anti-blackness filters down. Um, I, I'm in a, in a discussion with a Bengali of all people who's trying to tell me that we're all hit differently, we're all hit, we're all hit equally, which is hilarious because even Bengalis are a prime example of how anti-blackness doesn't just affect black people. You know, you can see historic texts written by Pakistani nationalists about the dark-skinned inferior Bengalis during the time of the war. You can see that the civil war between East Pakistan and major Pakistan Right, East Pakistan, which of course succeeded to become Bangladesh, was very, very heavily fueled by a, a sense of racial superiority. And we can still see anti-blackness in the way that Bengalis are treated. Yet they still are so blind to this to try and attack that and say that, oh, oh, we're equally affected. Pakistanis are not as affected by anti-blackness as Bengalis are. And Bengalis aren't even black. But ar so arguably, how... sorry to cut you off, but arguably you are acknowledging the fact that other people of color are still affected by anti-blackness. Of course. Everybody is affected by anti-blackness, but the people who have closer proximity to black people will get it the worst. So what I'm saying is this. You, you, Salim, are a dark-skinned Asian man. I'm sure at some point you have encountered, maybe you didn't notice it because at the time you weren't conscious of it or maybe you didn't think of it that way, yeah. but I'm sure even you have been a victim of anti-blackness at some point in your life. It might have been a relative saying something ignorant about your complexion. I get it. it to be honest, I, I get it quite frequently from people. Yeah. Um, so what? I'm, yeah, yeah. So what do you experience? As in just the the, the jokes about being dark skinned, and, and funny enough, you mentioned like Bengali. That's what people will refer to me as, and because that's an insult in some circles, um, mm -hmm. that that becomes the the kind of weapon of choice. But it, it's it's kind of consider this. Yeah, go on. If those people think they can laugh at you for being a bit black or a bit dark. How do you think they look at actual black people? So 
I, I know how they look at them because like again in 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 closed circles when you have conversations there is this kind of inherent racism that does come out and especially i think from east african uh asians because there the was same a, ones that love to claim i can't be racist i'm african, I'm african brother yeah. jumbo that's, that's, that's the first that thing i said way. to you when we spoke right yeah yeah <laughs> but no the, 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 but this is this is genuinely like i think for me the problem is that there's there's two issues here there's the one within the muslim community that you you started off with and you identified that we have this systemic problem that needs to be dealt with but then right now what we're seeing on like a much wider scale with what's happening um with with the death of george, or the murder of george floyd um and mm. the and the outcry that's come from that is that there is kind of it's the people against the establishment, and I think now this is my point. This this is this is this is this is what I'm trying to say. It's black people versus the establishment because it's always been us at the forefront dealing with this problem. Other people are just falling in now because they've been given permission. Why? Because ITV has put the Black Lives Matter, and all these celebrities are finally saying it because more people are at home now. More people are sitting down with access to the internet looking at these things but there's nothing new about what's happened it's not a new struggle we've been having this struggle for the last 50 years even before i was born and south asians were nowhere to be seen latinos for the most part arabs did not want to get involved now people are jumping in and acting like this is a, this has gone too far it was too far 100 years ago 300 years ago that's how long this has been going on and these people coming in now are crowbarring Palestine, crowbarring Syria, bringing in Burma. Like someone has left a comment on my, um, you know, I've, I've had a few like this, like, oh, oh, everybody cares about black lives because of one man. What about all the Palestinians? That is stupid. And that is the mentality many people who class themselves as allies are bringing. And I want to categorically say that don't you dare bring in Palestine into this or Syria into this, because even in those cultures, even in those countries, first of all, the biggest supporters in America of, of the BDS and, and, and anything to do with Palestine, both, you know, every state solution you can think of, black people are at the forefront. All the varying degrees of support for Palestine or Palestinians, or what, all the varying degrees of it are backed by black people, right? Nobody, black people never ever turn up when Palestinians are having problems and say, oh, what about but what about us? We stick to our own struggle and we talk about our struggle. But everybody tries to piggyback off the back of black struggle to then use it as a platform to show their own. And it's disgusting. And furthermore, it's something that's been repeated through history because everywhere you find in the West, people have been liberated from some form or some level of white supremacy. It's off the back of black people's labor. If you go to Mexico, the brown people that were liberated by a slave named El Yanga, who came from Benin and Nigeria before the borders were drawn. If you go to Brazil, the Brazilians were liberated by the Quilombos, again, who were Africans, Nigerians and Ghanaians and Angolans. If you go to the Caribbean, all these places, Africans were the first people to rebel and try and fight off colonialism. And afterwards, South Asians and mixed race people who were artificially created as a fake middle class, as a buffer between themselves and white people, they benefited. They're still wealthy now because of positions given to them by white supremacists because of their proximity to whiteness. 
And I know you won't interrupt me, but let please let me just expand on this. If you look at South Africa, apartheid wasn't white people and then everyone else. There was a system to it. If white people oppressed everybody equally, then all of us would have attacked at the same time. But what they did is they staggered it, they layered it. So first at the top of apartheid, and anybody can research this. It's not just, just me making this up. At the, at the top was white people, Europeans, right? So they were Boers, English, whatever. Then after that was Indians. Right after that, they call them Indians, but those people ethnically are Bengali, Pakistani, whatever, Punjabi, whatever you want to call it. Then after that, there was a group of artificially created uh, mixed race people right, called coloreds. The term coloreds refers to a group of people in South Africa. It's not just a term for people of color that we use in the West. And then at the very bottom was the Zulu, Swati, indigenous black Africans of South Africa. They had the worst land, the least opportunities. They weren't even allowed to study their own language in school. They were not given. In fact, when, they, um, when their mothers were pregnant, white South Africans would make their mothers drink alcohol so that when the children were born, they were small and unhealthy because they did not want the second coming of Shaka Zulu. Right? They, the, the Zulu people initially were big, you know, warlike warrior people. If you read the, the accounts of the first British that went there, they got defeated over 100 times. Even though they had guns, they got defeated by men with spears, right? Whoever it was that did that must have been some very imposing people. When you go to South Africa now, most of them are quite small and skinny because of the, 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 the aftermath of apartheid and not having enough food and being poisoned from childhood, right? So now many Asians you meet today wish that Africa was still being ruled by Europeans. And as an, as an East African in, uh, Asian man, I'm sure eventually you come across people that talk about the good old days when Africa was still colonized because they had more wealth then and black people were less uppity. Some Africans actually, you know, reacted badly when the Europeans left, like what well, I say badly, aggressively, like Idi Amin and so on. But for the most part, Africans were very forgiving of South Asians, even though historically South Asians sided with colonialists, right? So a lot of the wealth that people have in East Africa today, and also here, because when they came here, because they started with the British, they were given some, some form of reparation or consolation for what they lost in Africa. They had a head start over Africans here, and it was the same case in the Caribbean. And why I say that most East, East Africans are racist is because many of them don't even know the history. So they will travel to Africa, and they will see that their, Afri their Indian uncles and aunties have inherently more wealth than the indigenous people. And they never think, why? Why is it that we're wealthier than black people here in South Africa, here in Kenya, or here in Tanzania? They never think that. Why? Because to them, that's the natural order of things. And that in itself is a, is a very deep-seated sense of superiority. You just think you're, so what, do you think naturally you're smarter than these people? You outwork them in their own land and have more money than them? Nobody even bothers to find out why it is they're so far ahead. And it's the same thing with Asian societies here in the UK. Sorry that was a long tirade, but I'm just furious with all the idiots that keep preaching nonsense to me. So... You brought up a lot of the stuff which I think you mentioned maybe in passing when we first had this conversation on the TMV podcast itself. Um, and, wow. and that was like a, a, a much needed education. I think the title was a much needed education on anti-blackness in the Muslim community. Mm. Um, and, and I think, so obviously right now this conversation we wanted to frame around everything that's happening and, and whatever else. Black Lives to, Matter. To, to, address, yeah. to address what you've just discussed. 
for me, like the thing that I learned when we spoke last was about the fact that Asians came to Africa as indentured laborers. Um, yeah, and, not and there, slaves. And that there was a specific, there was like a class difference between yeah. the the Asians that came and, and the indigenous black people that were already there. Um, Absolutely. And you talked just now about superiority. Um, and mm. I think I think genuinely what has probably been uh, ingrained in our minds as like a East African Asian myself, um, although I, I was born here and been brought up in the UK, is yeah, that we yeah. have this kind of Gujarati money sense that has driven our um, entrepreneurial spirit and has allowed us to flourish and thrive. No, genuinely, this is this is the kind of narrative I, I think that's put across that we're just you know. <laughs> We're just we're just very 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 good at starting businesses, and and, and to be fair, I think there is an element of that spirit because you see it even oh, yeah. you see it even here, like that that people have this kind of self fulfilling prophecy, potentially. But the question then is that if if I acknowledge the fact that my my heritage has been um, given this upper hand over others. And that, and that I'm, I've, I've got this superiority inherently within me, and I've benefited from that, and and the system has has leaned towards me. I, I would still consider myself sympathetic towards the cause in terms of like the struggle, and and you know I, I think a lot of people have internalized racism, but at the same time don't want to benefit from racism or or want to see it it destroyed in society. And this yeah. is this is what I'm talking about. That right now it's become very divisive and difficult to, to say something or not say something. Because, for example, when I mentioned to you on, on the phone the other day that me not posting something on my Facebook becomes a statement in itself. Why am I not speaking up for this cause right now? Now, if I say something, I also know, and I'm weary of the fact that you might call me out because I framed it wrong. Someone else might say, oh, but you didn't do this. Someone else. I might wouldn't say, call you out. I'd, you I'd would, speak to you privately. No, no, but what I mean call me out is that you, you would take issue uh, with it potentially. And I, well, right now, what, here, so, so what I want to say is right now, I think there's like an outpouring of sympathy from people with regards to what's going on. Now, yes, you're right that we have systemic racism within our communities, within society and everything else, but it's to a much lesser degree than what we're seeing externally from the police in America, in Minneapolis, for example. That's not true. Okay, go on. That's not true. Because, like, okay, here in the UK, maybe Asians are not... In fact, I've seen Asian police officers doing what I... That's, a, that's another topic for another day. Here, maybe in the UK, because you're not the dominant society outwards... You know, you're not in a position to dominate us and kill us and whatnot. But if we talk about on a global scale, and Black Lives Matter is on a global scale, because we're talking about America, we're here in England, then yes, you guys are every bit as violent and homicidal as your white counterparts, because in India, at one point, uh, like, what was it? 13 Africans every week were being killed, right? Um, if we want to talk yeah, about you, you, you people, can't, you can't pin that on the entire Asian it's, race. It's anti-blackness. It's hap it happens across Asia. It happens across. It happens in Pakistan. Look at what's happening to Shidi's now. So your I mean, your, your argument then is that if I was, it's in... inherently part of your culture. I'm not so, saying genetically. This is where we. This is where this is where it gets touchy. I'm not saying that inherently you have a gene that makes things mm, must kill Carlos. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there is a culture of violent anti-blackness among South Asians that's just not acknowledged because media isn't in India and Pakistan the way it is in America. But I happen to be one of the few people that's obsessive 
on this topic, and I know for a fact that black people and Dalits are often subjected to pogroms in South Asia. In fact, indigenous black people of India are kept in open-air zoos. If you'd like me to send you pictures and documents to prove it, because you know I always back everything up, I will. But black people right now in India are catching hell just as much as black people in America. It's just that there's so few of them that they can go into a secluded, if they, a lot of them are so, have to live in forests and secluded areas from mainstream India. Because when they're in India, rape and murder are commonplace and nothing is done. And that's black people as well as Dalits. And then after that, Muslim, like you know how Muslims are treated in India, right? By the Indian, the, the, in the Indian psyche of things, black people are even below indigenous Indian Muslims. That's how badly they're treated. Mm. And then when you go to countries like Pakistan, if you go to Karachi and whatnot, if you see the black Pakistanis, again, they, I have to I speak privately with a few of the activists there, and they say they have to be careful with how much they say because they get taken in the night and killed in Pakistan. You've got the same thing in Bangladesh. So, you know, these things, well, you know, what, what color do you think some of the police officers were who were killing uh, black people in South Africa? What color do you think some of them were? Every area, every zone policed its own, um, uh, its, its own district, right? So the colors policed their own and the Indians policed their own. What do you think Indians did when a black person made the mistake of walking into an Indian majority area in South Africa? Huh? Killed them. Think they hugged them? Exactly. So just it's just that here, there isn't the power to do that. But that is there. Like, I'm telling you this now. Okay, Many but, of the people who don't like me yeah. right now for speaking about this, you think they wouldn't kill me if they could? You've seen the vitriol I get directed towards me, my wife, my kids. Is that normal? But I, I, I would amount that to trolling. No, it's not trolling, bro, because trolling is just trying to annoy someone. These people have gone out of the way to try and find ways to do me harm. Or to dox the way I earn a living. Mm. But this level of hatred and vitriol is not normal. They're not doing it to Katie Price. So sorry, it, Katie Hopkins. In, They're not doing it to him. I don't you know, know how Katie Price it, got into our conversation there. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. Yeah, They're not doing that. this. There is a special level of even misogyny directed towards Asian women who speak out about anti-blackness. They get rape threats and all sorts. You can... If these things are things I can show you if you haven't seen, but I know you know. Now, when we talk about the wider society, okay, wait, wait, before, we, before we get there, can I can I just hit back at something um, that you God just said? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so with regards to um, uh, India, Pakistan, and whatever else, like India, I, Pakistan, Morocco, Tunisia, Libya, all these countries, so not just Asians. I'm not but, just focusing on Asians. Non-black POC, yeah. But Libya you, too. Sorry. <laughs> so, so I so so maybe my history is not good enough, but I feel like there's still a lot of this is down to kind of um, colonialism and and no, a lot it's of not. the why not and a lot of the artificial stru- artificial structures that have been put in place. So, like the example that we had with Kenya and indentured mm-hmm. laborers and whatever else, there was an artificial class structure that was attached to race. Yes. And at the same time, there is also this kind of, um, you know, light or white is right type mentality. Yes. And you yes. have this like fair and lovely, that whole debate that kicks yes, off in, yes, in South Asia. Yes, so yes. I think that notion of, of whiteness being superior is what then fuels all of this. Now, I don't know where that notion is originally started from. It, it didn't come from the English coming into India. 
that existed there long before that. Look at the caste system. So what is that, create that? What do you think that so is? So all I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show I'm going to put it, put it this way: if colonialism can completely reprogram you, <clears throat> why is it that black people just kept on rebelling wherever they took us? Why didn't we just acquiesce the way you guys did? If it's so easy to make somebody accept something that is wrong, that's not normal. Why is it that slaves who are departed from African culture for over three, four hundred years are still fighting the same way their ancestors did to this day? Don't believe me. Just look at what's happening in America now. The reason that they were able to colonize the, the Indian subcontinent easy, more easily than they did Africa, more easily than they did certain African countries, is because there was already a caste system. There's already a sense that some people should be here I actually, and some people I, should I, be there. I'll take back what I just said, because even even thinking about the name of our podcast, I'm not your Bilal, this is like looking at the time of the Prophet, there was already that inherent... It was already of, there. Mm. It was, and then you look at you look at countries, you, you, you look across the board, the, the first people to sell Africans as slaves were Arabs. Yeah. And many of those slaves ended up in the Indian subcontinent. So... It's not. Let's not blame the white man for that. That's something that he may have helped. I thought, I thought we could have united on that one. <laughs> Find the common enemy. So, see, but no, I, I get you. You're right. People. You're right. Yeah. From the perspective, so this is what I want people to understand. From the perspective of a black person, yeah, I said this. When you're being rushed, everybody looks like an enemy. Black people are being rushed. We get it from all sides. Do you know how hard it is to be a black Muslim? I'm trying to talk about Black Lives Matter. Oh yeah, but you're with those Muslim people who hate. Black people, Islam is racist. No, it's not. The next thing you know, a Muslim pops up. Yeah, but you know what? Someone said, Wallahi, the miswak is more important than Black Lives Matter. You've got Muslims popping up, making all these stupid statements. Oh, why do you guys keep talking about Black Lives? They're kufar anyway. These are the things that come out from the mouths. That these things make it very hard to defend the wider Muslim community, which is predominantly non-black POC. And you know what's ironic is as much as people hate hearing black, 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 black. Black people are so varied in, in, our, in our cultures and our, even physiology that the only thing that actually unites us worldwide is how badly we're treated by non-black people. If you get a Shidi from Pakistan, if you get a black Mexican, you get a black Palestinian, you, me from Nigeria, black Jamaican, the only thing we all have in common is that the lighter-skinned person down the road hates us or treats us badly. The concept of blackness was born out of racism. If people don't like hearing about black, 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 stop treating us differently. And that's why I said, as far as I'm concerned, it's all well and good sharing a Black Lives Matter post. You know, I see organizations like Cage have come out and said things like, oh, yeah, they support Black Lives Matter, which is great. Where were they when Mozambik was denying the, the genocide of Sudanese people or denying the inherent anti-blackness among South Asians? Where were they? Why didn't they say something then? Because it's easy to attack the Western people in, you know, if you've got a, an agenda against attacking your government. But it's not easy to call out your own. You know, um, you, you've got so many people who have made anti-black statements in the past now putting up BLM. I've seen somebody who has Black Lives Matter on his Twitter feed bio, but in the same, on the same Twitter, he's justifying the comments of a, pre, a presenter that was on the Islam channel a few years back, 
and he had a bunch of black guests. So he said, oh, look at them. They look like they're, they're, this looks like the lineup for Crime Watch. And the person cannot see how that sort of mentality about black people actually feeds directly into the phenomenon of Black Lives Matter because you're criminalizing black people. Black culture and black men particularly are criminalized. So when you crack jokes like that, you're perpetuating it. The same thing with that guy that was standing on the street saying, oh, uh, that Abu Ibrahim uh, speaker who stood on the streets and said, stop acting like you're black, act like mm. you're decent people. What you're doing is you're criminalizing black behavior. Because when, and then he made it worse, he said, oh, I meant, you know, I meant like gang culture and, and, and drug dealers. Which is so that's even the worse, first thing yeah. he thinks. <laughs> yeah, when he yeah. thinks of black people. And this is not something new. Because he said this on the street full of like three, four hundred people, mainly South Asian, and nobody said anything to him. I can't go to Brixton and stand in front of 300 black people and call Pakistanis groomers or wife be or any other negative stereotypes associated with Pakistanis or South Asians, right? Black people would fight me. They're like, no, you can't say stuff like that, you know? And most black people have what? You're good. It just said Nabil left. Yeah, no, there okay. was two of you in. Don't worry, carry on. Yeah, okay. Anyway, um, most black people do have some resentment towards Asians for all the reasons I've named already. But I still couldn't get away with saying stuff like that about Asians in front of black people. But it was perfectly fine for a man to stand, a man of religion, to stand and criminalize black people uh, on Lady Pool Road in Birmingham, right? And the reason is because anti-blackness has passed the dinner table test in most Asian homes. Think about this. Until prevent CTS... Uh, Schedule 7, all this stuff came out. Most Asians didn't even talk about structural racism. They did it. They didn't believe it. They, black people got, got stopped and searched. were told, well, if you guys didn't commit so much crime, it wouldn't be happening. There were no Asians out there campaigning against stop and search. But now, now all of a sudden, everybody cares. You know, it's frustrating. And then, you know, I understand that many people mean well. But I want to see more Asians and more Arabs talking about the things happening in their country because Black Lives Matter isn't just American lives. It's British lives. It's, it's, it's African lives in Libya and all these countries. It's everywhere. It's not just America because it's cool. It's not just because you like rap music and you want to seem cool or because you like black boys or whatever. I want to see a genuine care for black culture, even the aspects of black culture that might not be as cool. Okay? You know, not just like in black people that give you rap music and reggae and garage. If you love us, love us in totality as human beings, not as commodities that you consume. And if we can then, like, I guess, explore this bit a little bit more in depth. So coming back to what I initially mentioned about showing support and, and standing up, I think what I'm hearing from you is that it's, it's more about uh, tackling our own biases and our own community issues rather than jumping on the bandwagon of George Floyd or and Black both. Lives Matter. Uh, 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 yeah, or do, do both. both. It's not either or. Everybody's at home now. You know what I mean? Do both. And and like I will say, for example, in in individual cases, it's different. So like, for example, if someone like you would talk about Black Lives Matter, I know it's genuine because, you know, you sought me out to do this stuff that we're doing now. It's something that you wanted to do. It's something that you're passionate about. Uh, and for the right? record, it was before you were on. I knew you were on Britain's Got Talent as well. It was long before that. It was easy, <laughs> like two years ago. You approached me, right? Yeah. I, it's just that the way life works. It wasn't. It wasn't the right time. So if someone like you comes out and says something that that's credible, right? 
But like I don't I don't I don't respect certain people coming out and saying Black Lives Matter and certain organizations because I know individuals behind those organizations. We all black people are talking now. We all know how some of these organizations are run. Mm. And we've all seen um previous actions uh, and statements from these people. So it's gonna take a lot more, a hell of a lot more from these people to convince us that they're allies because what has happened and this is something I want to go into as well regarding like people talking about the rioting aspect, um, the rioting aspect of the, of, of the demonstrations. What has happened is a lot of movements that were for black people have been co-opted by non-black people with ulterior motives, right? Like, you know, if you look at the civil rights movement, you'll find that um, a lot of feminist groups and non-black activist groups uh, called black people in and made them the face of these organizations. But then when funding came, none of it was given to black causes. Um, you'll find a lot of Muslim organizations. Now, I, as soon as I did flipping got a, a golden buzzer on BGT, a lot of uh, Muslim organizations, uh, Muslim media outlets tried to get me to come and talk about this, that, and the other. But they're the same people that wouldn't give me the time of day before. Um, a lot of the people now talking about Black Lives Matter were people who refused to put statements out about anti-blackness whenever it happened, you know, within, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, whenever they want, whenever one of us does something, they love to put us on, on the forefront. Like I got pro uh, um, approached by a producer that I'd worked with before who, you know, I'm going to say it, the people who did uh, the Muslims Like Us um, documentary, right? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say it. They, they got me and Abdul Haq on that show and Anybody who watches it, like, love us or hate us, we were the stars of that show. We made that show entertaining. We were the favorites. Me and Abdul Haq, right? That show won a BAFTA. I've been in, I've been in a BAFTA award-winning documentary, and I was a major character in that documentary. Did I get invited to the awards? Did I get an email saying thank you? Did I even get an email telling me that we had won the awards? I found that on Twitter. Wow. When there was a discussion about anti-blackness, right, the main producer of the show, Mobin, he went on there with one of the girls from Poetic Pilgrimage, right, to discuss it off the back of debates that were sparked from the episode, an episode, you know, to do with how Nian Abdhaq were being treated. I was there. I, I saw, I heard, I was there. I'm the guy. But they wouldn't use us. It, 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 you know, is that this is a classic example of a black person being exploited for views for the sake of diversity, right? And and I this isn't backbiting because I've taken it up when they contacted me again to come and do something. And I said, you know, because now I know that you want to do more stuff to feature black people and show. And you know what? Now I'm talking to other producers at the BBC and they're very, very forward thinking. And I know it's not reflective of all of the BBC or even all of the company that did Muslims Like Us, but I expressed my, 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 my discomfort. I was like, why is it that whenever you guys want to show how diverse Islam is, you guys reach for us black people because a lot of the talent in the Muslim community is black. It is, disproportionately, I might add, right? But then when the, the spoils come in, you know, we don't get the benefits. We don't reap the rewards. You know, we don't reap the rewards. It's the same thing with so many other organizations you know, they splash our faces on their posters. They quote us. Um, they, 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 they use us in, in all sorts of things. 
but then we don't get any appreciation afterwards. And this has been the story, again, as you can see, it's been a recurring thing with black people ever since. And a lot of us are fed up with it because now you've got people who come and they co-opt our Black Lives Matter, you know, and then next thing you know, they'll start asking for funds. Oh, we want to raise a do a fundraiser for so-and-so. And then where's that money going? Or they start diverting attention like they're doing now. Oh, but what about Palestine? The biggest Muslim charities in the UK right now all send millions of pounds to Palestine, Syria, as they rightfully should. And they send some money to Gambia too, but nowhere near amount, the amount of money that's sent to... And I've been part of these fundraisers. Like, I don't have a problem with Syrians getting fundraised for, for Palestinians. But when these things are happening, nobody ever stands and says, oh, but what about black Americans? What about black British people? What about Africans in Libya? What about Africans in Central African Republic? What about... Nobody ever talks about our causes then. Okay. But then when we do stuff for ourselves, people feel it's okay to come and bring this it's, it's you know it's it's too much man i think it's it's been a problem for as long as i've been uh actively kind of let's say uh, observing the the muslim space at least in the uk i don't know as much about america i know a little bit and i'm it's the know. same and it's worse in america but how 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 do you think we, this this plays out how do we change how i don't know how you change but i know how it's going to play out How's it going to play it's, out? It's too it's too, you know, there's there's possibility and there's probability. Now, the possibility is that all South Asians learn from this and, and gradually start unlearning a lot of the things and Arabs start unlearning a lot of the negativity and, and more and more focus groups are built and think tanks that um, start to correct the wrongs of anti-blackness and even on a political level and a macro level, uh, organizations start doing more to understand the black plight and understand how it's important to educate everyone about anti-blackness, right? That's a possibility. But the probability is things are going to get much worse. Things between our communities will get tense. We've already had riots in the past. Ask them in Birmingham. Ask them in Manchester. I think there's going to be a repeat of these things because every week some prominent Muslim is saying something dumb about black people or about the black experience. And you have to understand right now, tensions are boiling and people are getting angrier. Because the thing is, for you, it's something you're observing, right? For a lot of these people, it's something that they're observing. It's trivial. It's extracurricular. Mm. I live this. The reality of my life is, even here in the UK, and this, this is what makes the death of George Floyd more painful than a lot of the shootings. What happened to him could easily happen to me. I could walk down the street right now and a police officer could stop me for no reason as they have done in the past, and then grab my wrist. And I don't know if you've ever had anyone grab your wrist before. I know you've got a little baby. Try it. When your child can't see you, take hold of their wrist. Naturally, they draw their arm back to their body. It's a reflex action. It's called a skeletal lockout. You know, we do that when we're startled. Now, when a police officer grabs your wrist as a grown man, naturally, you pull your wrist to your body. That counts as resisting arrest. They are then justified, if you're black, to hit you over the head, tase you, sweep you to the floor, and possibly kill you in the name of restraining you with illegal holes, right? And the thing is, there is a 99.9% .9 chance, in fact, there's a 100% chance that if a police officer kills you as a black man in the UK, they will not be arrested or prosecuted. And the, the way that George um, Floyd was killed in America is the same way many black and Asian men have been killed by police in the UK, by asphyxiation, using an illegal hold. 
And, and that, that's a very horrible thing to watch because if you watch it and you understand how grappling works, like I do, you can see it was deliberate because it only takes six seconds to render someone unconscious by applying pressure to the carotid artery, like, you know, with a rear naked choke or that sort of thing. And whenever George Floyd would start to go unconscious, you could see the police officer raise his knee to let him wake up a little bit and then put his knee back to choke him some more. And he continued doing this off and on. Now, it takes six seconds to do this. He was doing this for a process of about eight or nine minutes. And in the video, you can hear the cameraman saying, you know what you're doing. I train with half of you guys at Gracie Baja. Now, for those of you who aren't into MMA, Gracie Baja is a, is a chain like the McDonald's of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gyms where these kinds of techniques are taught. And the police officer was not doing it to restrain the man because if he was, his hands wouldn't have been in his pocket. His hands were in his pockets. The man was already handcuffed. The man was already, you know, already on the floor. There was no need to do that. But he continuously choked the man out and woke him up until eventually the man went limp. And when those um, emergency people arrived and other police officers arrived, they checked his pulse. They knew he was dead. They didn't move him. And even upon finding out the guy was dead, you see, they don't get the police. He still keeps his knee on him just to make sure even if this guy can come back from the dead, he doesn't. And then when they put him on the gurney, if you know, um, you know, first aid and stuff, you know, obviously there's a way that head should be handled in this situation so the neck doesn't break, especially when somebody's unconscious because the head flops around. Right? We've had to do it at our gym when guys have been knocked out or choked out. Now, as they're putting the guy, look how carelessly they handle his head. They knew he was dead. And this is the way that black people are treated. And on the internet today, again, I can show you non-Muslims online even said, yeah, but why did he commit that crime though? And even furthermore, the person whose shop this whole situation started from was an Arab, right? An Arab-American. And the, you can hear an Arab-American in the background who had come out from the shop and he said, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. He's just a crackhead. He's on crack. That's why he's passed out. He hadn't even seen everything that happened, but he was projecting his anti-black stereotypes on George Floyd, who was not a drug addict. He was a normal, hard-working man and a father. But that anti-blackness was so deep, he could see a human being being killed. Killed! Right? And he comes out and he says, don't worry. Don't worry, it's just a crack. Crack doesn't make you fall asleep. It makes you hyper. The man was not hyper, he was unconscious. But that is the level of anti-blackness that exists among many, many Middle Eastern people and South Asians that you can see someone die and still look for an excuse to make it okay. So when you watch that video again, and I hope you do, understand, please, why... I could get killed tomorrow and some of my Muslim brothers would make an excuse for why I was killed. Any black, our lives do not matter and that's why we say black lives matter. He was dead, man. He was dead. And this guy still made an excuse. Oh, he's on crack. And it turns out the man didn't even commit any crime. Watch the full video. He didn't resist arrest. He fell. He fell. They were he was already handcuffed. They had him in the police car. He felt unwell. He came out and he fell on his face. And they drove their knees into his neck. 
Uh, you want to ask me why black people are angry? Huh? How can we not hate people? Do you know how hard it is not to hate everyone else? If that had been a Muslim, if that had been a Muslim, look me in the eye and tell me, if that had been, if that had been an Arab or an Indian or a Pakistani that was being choked to death, tell me these people would say the same thing. Tell me. Somebody, Mark Duggan got killed. All they had to do was post a video of him looking angry, a picture. And people said, see, he was a drug dealer. He was a bad person. He was a gang member. But you don't see the full picture. He was standing at his daughter's grave. This is what they do to black people. People talk about, oh, they're rioting. Okay, let me ask you something. When Corinne Gaines died, when she was killed by police, was there a riot? No. When Dylan Roof murdered nine people in a place of worship after praying with them, was there a riot? No. When Trayvon Martin was killed, was there a riot? No. When Tamir Rice was killed, was there a riot? No. When Sandra Bland was beaten and then had her neck snapped, right? She was dead. They then made her lie down on the floor and took a picture of her and pretended it was a mugshot. Did people riot? No. When Eric Garner was killed in the same manner, choked to death because apparently he was selling cigarettes, did people riot? No. When Bosom Jean was sitting down in his house eating ice cream and a police officer named Amber Geiger went into his house and shot him, she didn't even notice. She claimed that she thought it was her house. She went into his house and shot him. Did black people riot? No. So don't blame what's happening to black people on black people being violent. Because wallahi, I swear to God, if we were as hateful as any of these other groups, including Asians, Arabs or white people, all of you would be dead. All of you. How can people blame this, what's happening now, on the reaction to it? In fact, black people have come out and forgiven. Botham Jean's brother hugged Amber Gaga in court and prayed for her. Dylan Roof, black people from that church, they said, we forgive you, even though he didn't want it. Which other group does that? But still, when some of us understandably get angry, we're called violent and bad. Let's take it a step further. Let's take it a step further. COINTELPRO, people don't think that structural racism is real. COINTELPRO was, was, was a government initiative to go into black organizations and from the inside sabotage them. They also used threats. They used fake evidence, um, fake arrests, intimidation, um, spying, all sorts of things to discredit and dismantle. And then when other things could not work, they even used murder to dismantle black civil rights groups. Right? And we look at the fall of the Black Panthers, who many stupid Muslims now turn and use as an example of a racist organization. Oh, yeah. The bill is pushing for black power. That's not for white power. Black power was never racist. If black power was racist, then Algeria would not have funded the Black Panthers. Algeria back then was not a racist country. I know now things have changed. But back then, Algerians were true allies because Algerians and many North Africans owe their freedom to a Caribbean uh, man named Franz Fanon who helped inspire them and teach them about anti-colonialism. Anyway, 
Algeria funded the Black Panthers. Many of the Black Panthers were themselves Sunni Muslims. And the benefit and welfare system of America today is based off of what the Black Panthers did in America. They delivered food and medicine to poor areas. They taught, they worked with working class white people, working class Mexicans, working class black people. And they didn't say power to black people. They said power to the people, all the power to all the people. And the CIA and the FBI, they got people to go in, right, to infiltrate. And these people, the main person was an Asian. And he gave the schematics to one of the headquarters of the Black Panthers. And the, the, the youngest um, leader of the Black Panthers at the time was murdered in cold blood thanks to the information that they got from these informants and turncoats. And furthermore, when you look today at people like Rachel Dolezal and the NAACP, you can see that most likely she was a COINTELPRO agent who got discovered. She's a white woman that was pretending to be black, acting black the whole time. When she got discovered, she's now played it off and she's acting like this mentally ill person who's white but thinks she's black. You look at footage from the riots that we have now in America, and a lot of these rioters you can see clearly are military trained white supremacists. They still have earpieces in. At, at best, they're anarchists. But the truth is, majority of these people are white supremacists, many of, of, of whom are tied with the police, because as you know, the police have been proven to have links with lots of white supremacist criminals and groups. And what they do is they go into these riots, they wear their little masks, and they cause violence and destruction so as to instigate other black people to join them, which didn't really happen in America this time, but it was still enough to justify calling in a violent police. The same people that caused the problem in the first place. They have so many ways of deflecting, discrediting, and stifling us. You know, some police have taken a more passive way of kneeling down to give us symbolic victory. But until those police officers are sentenced to death or life imprisonment, there's no real victory. And still, during this, um, you know, during this uh, demonstration, this course of demonstrations, yesterday somebody was shot and killed. He was unarmed. Oh, so, you know, people talk about Palestine and this, that, and the other. Palestinians are better off than African Americans because Palestinians still have a culture that was not taken from them. They still have an identity. They're being killed in the same, more or less, if you talk about the duration of time that people have been killed for, African-Americans have been killed for longer. And the figures, the actual figures of African-Americans being killed are about the same, if not more, than Palestinians. The only difference is there'll be like a shelling, right, of airstrikes on Palestine. African-Americans are just getting killed in the dozens every day. Even now while we're talking, somewhere there's a black man or black woman being killed by a police officer. We only see the ones that make it here. But if you tune into American news, there are cases every day. I, I, I was going to say, I know you've, you've been speaking for a long time and I'm just trying to think where the conversation goes from here because it, I, I don't even know what to say, man. There's, there's, I can't even see this kind of concluding, this, this particular chat concluding in any positive way whatsoever because there's just so much there's so many layers of of um discrimination and oppression that have, have as you say kind of systematically taken place and i i don't know man it's it's just hard to comprehend that that and 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 you mentioned i think so, somewhere in the middle you were talking about the fact that you know i i i have the privilege of being able to observe this whereas it's your lived experience 
Um, and, and I think that's that's the thing that at least I wanted to be able to, to why I wanted to have this conversation is because people often don't get to have any sort of an insight into what that feels like. And I think you've done a, 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 a decent enough job, at least on a small level of, of just getting people to appreciate the the pain and the and the fear, I guess, that comes with that. Right. The fact that, as you said, like you leaving your house can be detained by the police and they can take pretty much any action they want and will somehow try and justify it as history has demonstrated. Um, and as we're seeing daily, and as you said in America, someone yesterday, I think um, if we're talking about the same case, I believe none of the police cameras were on. So so they didn't even capture any of that evidence and now they're having to take action and whatever else. But it's just, it's so, I mean, it sometimes think, can... Think I, about... I can I can I can just despair when I think about the fact that this is like has been going on for so long and and will most likely as you say there's probability and possibility the probability is that it will probably just continue and and the sad reality is that when we look at social media um a lot of the support is very uh tokenistic so I know there's like yeah. a there's a there's a I think there's a blackout today so we're recording this on a Tuesday there's like a blackout tuesday where everyone's putting a black screen on their social media and and then again like i've 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 seen people saying oh but don't put a black screen because that's just their way of making sure that you don't see the actual activism work that's being done and people are just debating and getting into like their own little echo chambers of like um uh, moral superiority but like the ultimate reality is that underneath all of this stuff is just a, a very bleak reality of of the situation and and uh, like the the circumstance for black people um I mean, why I want people to also focus on, I know there's a lot, in, and uh, so I got a bit passionate there, but what I want people to understand is, I'm not speaking, like, there's a few things I want people to know. Like, imagine if nobody had a camera phone when George Floyd was being killed. You know? And also, this is close to home. A British boy got killed the same way by police just last year. A few months back really, that we know of, and many more that we don't know of. There are hundreds of cases of police killing young black boys here in the UK, hundreds. And to date, there's not been one single conviction of a police officer on British soil for the wrongful death of a black person, not one. If there was no camera available, you know, if nobody was recording when this man got killed, people would try and justify it. They would say he hit his head. You know, Sheku Bayo was killed in Glasgow the same way by police. And his family waited several months before they even got to see his body. And his family were given the wrong body to bury. Till date, no police officer was confronted for that. You know, they... It's a real thing. I literally, I could argue with a security guard at Tesco because he thinks I took something. And police arrive. They grab me. They throw me on the floor. My head hits the floor. That's it. People need to think about the story of Jamil Arshad. Do you know Jamil Arshad? Yes, briefly. The, Palestinian the, the, woman, I think. No, doctor. Huh? Do, black doctor of oh, America okay. who took Shahada in her 40s. In her 50s, on her way back home from hospital, uh, where she was working, she saw a small child get hit by a car. Right? 
So she comes out and starts trying to resuscitate the child, comes out of her car. While she's doing that, a white man is walking by, sees her resuscitating a child. And he uh, calls the police. First, he comes to her and asks, what are you doing to this boy? She said, I'm a doctor. Let me work. I'm trying to save this child. The guy calls the police and says, there's a black woman on top of this child. She says she's a doctor, but I don't believe her. The police turns up, finds her, right? Tried to resuscitate the child and body slams her onto the pavement, a 51-year-old woman. Think about any 51-year-old woman in your family and think about a man my size picking her up and body slamming onto the pavement. Jamila Ashad gets up and is upset about what um, has happened and gets up to try and explain who she is. The police officer then foot sweeps her. So her face smacks the pavement. He then jumps on her, puts his full um, weight on her back with his knees and handcuffs her, chokes her, puts her in the police car. Where her head hits something in the police car. She starts to have a seizure in the police car. She has a heart attack. He's locked the police car. Somebody walks past and sees foam coming out of her mouth. Sees foam coming out of her mouth and goes and tells the police officer that this is happening to the woman. And he turns around and says, oh, um, I don't have the key to the police car. Ten minutes later, they get a key. They open the car to find her dead in the car. The hospital was five minutes away. Literally five minutes away. They could have called the hospital and asked if she was who she said she was. They could have just not body slammed her. They could have gotten her medical attention straight away. They could have done what most people should do. Even if you put handcuffs on someone, ask for ID. They could have done all of that. But they didn't because it was a black woman who was in the rain resuscitating someone. So she probably didn't look almost presentable because she's been in the rain for minutes trying to resuscitate a child. All right? Now I want you to ask, how likely is that to happen to an Indian person who says they're a doctor or an Arab that says they're a doctor? You know? And, you know, I know that there's no positive way to end this on, but at the end of the day, people's lives are being ended on a negative. Like Jamil Arshad, who, you know, she took Shahada May Allah grant her Jannah. Her son was studying medicine at the time, found out what happened to his mom, left the uni, he's not been back since. You know, he, the last 10 years of his life has been spent trying to get justice for his mom. Till date, the police officers involved are still working in the police force. I want people to think about Stephen Lawrence, who was stabbed to death by a group of about 11 men, or well, eight, depending on who you listen to. Stabbed to death. They saw him. They said, what, what, nigga? Right? Ran up to him. Stabbed him. Ran off. The police turned up. Didn't in inspect the area where he was. His friend ran for his life. The police turned up. Didn't inspect the area properly. And then went to the pub. He was a teenager. For 20 years or so, his friend was subjected to police harassment and intimidation. Only recently did four of the alleged uh, killers end up going to prison and only because one of them was being done for a different crime and fingerprints happened to match. But this evidence had been there the whole time.
the police officers were found to have tampered with evidence. The police officers who were not let off with pensions have since been promoted into the police force here in the UK. Many of them are responsible for training other police officers. Black people are 36 times more likely to be stopped and searched by police, but twice more likely than Asians. So when people say, yes, there is, you know, you are on the receiving end of racism. Yes, you are, but it's mm. worse. Black people are less likely to find a job than an Asian. If we have names that sound African or Caribbean, black people are twice as likely to die in police custody as anybody else. Right? The standards are the same for Asians and white people, double for black people. Black people are more likely to die giving birth in hospitals because we're not given enough care. Now, who predominantly works in hospitals again? Anyway, different, different discussion for another day. I, I, I think um, th this is obviously the, the reason why, like when we first had this conversation about, about doing a podcast together, like a dedicated podcast on this topic, I think th th this, everything that's happening right now kind of just shows the need for this kind of conversation framed around, um, I think, the black Muslim experience. Because if we're, if we're looking at how we can address so many of the issues that we have within our communities and also wider society, as we said, like the, the community bit's important as well, and within ourselves. And I, and I think people need to, to, to really assess like their intention behind, for example, posting and supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. Is it a trendy thing or is it that you actually can? If you do actually care, would you give your son, on, would you allow your son or daughter to marry, for example, a, a black person? And, and do you accept them in your mosque? When someone walks in that's black skin to your mosque, are you like whispering to the guy next to you, be like, oh, who's that? Is he a revert? Whatever. And there's so many different kind of stereotypes. Like, you know, we've mentioned this whole thing about being a revert. That all black Muslims have to be reverts. Yeah. And 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 maybe, you know, another time we can have much lighter conversations where we can have fun and, and, and joke about um all of the experiences that you've had. And you know, we've done it in the past and I'm sure we'll do it in the future. But I think, you know, th there's th there's there's no pretty way to end this conversation right now. Um Yeah. I mean any any anything from you, any last sort of thoughts or words or comments? Black Lives Matter.